chapter 36, verse 33, and reading through to chapter 37 and verse 14. Hear the word of God. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Once again I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks for offerings at Jerusalem during her appointed festivals. So will the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people... I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his word. Last Sunday morning, I was uh, looking with you at the um, call of Ezekiel. He was in exile in Babylon, and on the day he was destined to 
be fully graduated as a priest. He, could no, he couldn't do that because five years previously, he was among the people taken from Jerusalem, left in exile in Babylon. But it was there that God came and spoke to him for the first time, the first of the visions. And last week I was saying that we see God provides both His Word and His Spirit. That, he was saying to Ezekiel, there's a job for you to do, there's a role for you to play. Here's what you're going to need, my Word and your Spirit. And it's the same that God has always said to His people. I am with you, here's my Spirit and my presence, and the message you have is that, that Word of God. Wasn't it going to be easy? And Ezekiel was told some hard things about what it was going to cost, and in fact, that came true. It did cost him an awful lot. And again, that's consistent through the whole story of the Scriptures. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. There's a cost. Sacrifice is part and parcel of following Jesus. And then thoroughly, I was mentioning that how... Ezekiel was having to rethink, how do, I, how do we do God's stuff? How do we follow God when we don't have the institution that we used to have, when we don't have the centrality and the power that we used to have, when we're on the fringes, on the margins in exile, no temple and all? He was having to rethink that, and that too is where the church in the Western world finds itself no longer sitting at the top table of power necessarily, but on the, on the fringes, a small minority. It's not necessarily a bad place to be. That's part of the message of Ezekiel. God comes to Ezekiel when he's on the margins in Babylon. And then lastly, that was the message. God is here. God was with him. The renewal that was to come was not going to come through the temple and Jerusalem being saved. That was to be destroyed. Rather, the renewal was going to begin on the margins and the forgotten places in Babylon. So that's where we were last week. And the picking up on that story and the passage that Andrew read for us, beginning in chapter 36, there is that promise of, of restoration followed by the Another vision that Ezekiel was given, perhaps the best-known chapter in the book, the one about the dry bones. But before that section that Andrew began the reading, I want to look at just a few verses before that, beginning at verse 22. And as I read, watch out, watch out for capital letters. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. Sorry, I'm reading back again. <laughs> there we go. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. You get the message? I will. I will, I will, I will. This work of salvation, this work of the gospel, is what God does. It's God's work. It is not something that we can do or something that we can perform. The focus is on God's acting. Radical surgery, deep transformation is needed. Stony hearts are to be replaced with living hearts. And the old stubborn spirits replaced with God's life-giving spirit. So time and again, God says, I will do this. And as if that wasn't making it clear enough, he then gives chapter 37 this amazing vision of Ezekiel being taken to the valley of dry bones. Now, at first sight, that's a pretty horrible thing to be looking at, isn't it? Um, Remember a number of years ago, I watched the film Hotel Rwanda, if anyone saw it, about, the, about the, war, the civil war going on in Rwanda. And there was one point in the film where the folks were trying to get some folks to get back to the hotel and, and, in, and in the vehicle, and it was nighttime, and they did not want to be discovered, so they were driving with the headlights off, just barely seeing anything in front of them, and they realized at some point, this road is awful bumpy. And when they got out and looked, it wasn't a flat tire. They were driving over the bodies of people who had been massacred. And it was a horrible thing. Horrible. And Ezekiel has that as he sees this, but worse. Ezekiel, as I mentioned, was in the priesthood of Israel. And to be amongst the dead was a place for the priests of defilement. And there he was, verse 2, being led back and forth among them. In the vision, he is not simply looking from a distance, but he is in and being taken back and forth among these, these dead bodies. And so he's in the place not just of death and destruction, but also defilement. And then he's given a, a rather daft question. God says to him, can these bones live? Now, clearly the answer is no. But Ezekiel's kind of thinking, oh, God's up to something here, so I better hedge my bets. <laughs> he says, oh, Lord, only, only you know that, you know. And God says, preach to them, prophesy to them. Another bizarre command. Ears have bones, but bones don't have ears. <laughs> But speak to them, on you go, prophesy. And he does, as God has commanded them. And amazingly, these bones begin to form and, and take shape. And the tendons come, and they're covered with skin. And then, verse 8, this miracle of reconstruction seems to stop because there was no breath in them. So, verse 9, Ezekiel is commanded to speak again. This time the breath comes. The Hebrew word for breath dominates this whole scene 
in chapter 37. It's used 10 times in these 14 verses. And it's used with a variety of meanings in verse 1 and in verse 14. The reference is to the, the, is to the Holy Spirit of God. It's used as literal breath in verses 5 and 6 and 8 and 10. And in verse 9, it refers to the wind. The whole scene is shot through with the various uses of wind, breath, spirit. But clearly, it's about life coming out of deadness. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And verses 9 and 10, where Ezekiel has got to preach and the breath comes, is a reminder back to that creation story. The the Hebrews would have remembered that. They would remember that in the creation story in Genesis 2, God makes people, and then as a second stage, if you like, a second act, He breathes into them and they come alive. And, And what the message means here is, this is a work as big as creation itself. This is something as miraculous as creation itself. We are doing something here, God is saying to Ezekiel, of huge, huge significance. You thought creation was big? This is another thing just as big. Now, it's an extraordinary vision. And the Lord did not leave Ezekiel to guess what it meant. And Ezekiel didn't leave us to see if we can work it out, because verses 11 to 14 explain it. It says that they say that the people of Israel were bereft of hope. There they were in Babylon, thinking their whole identity, their whole purpose was gone. Their hopes of a return to Jerusalem had been shattered Because in chapter 33, we read of the destruction of Jerusalem. So, whereas at the beginning of Ezekiel's uh, story, back in chapter 1, it might well have been that people were thinking, well, maybe next week we can get to Jerusalem, maybe next month, maybe next year. Chapter 33 comes, Jerusalem is destroyed. So, we're not going back to Jerusalem. It's no there. And a work of God was needed to sort this out. And that was exactly what was promised. I will, I will, I will, I will. So I want to make a number of uh, comments on, on that passage and connect it with the place of the church today. The first one is, don't presume. My colleague uh, commented uh, a few months ago, um, they read that chapter in in church and then said, therefore God is not done with the Church of Scotland yet. I I, I think that's presumption. I'm not saying that the church is doomed, but I'm saying you you can't say it on the basis of just this chapter. Because one of the things about Ezekiel chapter 37 is before it come 36 other chapters. And we have to follow that story through those 36 chapters if we're going to get any sense of what's going on in chapter 37. Now, I'm not wanting to limit God or the horizons of faith, but there is significance, I think, in the fact that the promises of renewal in Ezekiel come after chapter 33 when Jerusalem is destroyed. 
the institution has gone. The people were sitting in Babylon saying, how can we worship? How can we be the people of God? And Ezekiel's message was to say, well, you can be the people of God. We are the people of God. God is here. God is with us. But not by our being back in Jerusalem right away, but by God being with us in this new way, in this new place on the margins. So we shouldn't make just presumption that because God can do this, He's going to sort everything out for us. Not least because there's a message of repentance that has to be heard. In an earlier vision, Ezekiel had been transported to Jerusalem, and seeing that there was much going on there that displeased God, there was low morals, there was power politics, heresy was being tolerated, there was a mishmash of other religious ideas being brought into the temple. And God's message was, I am not going to bless that. I am not going to bless a church where, where the morality is being thrown out the window, where we're playing power politics, where heresy is being tolerated, where it's just a mishmash of other religious ideas. There is some repentance needed. Church of Scotland is pretty poor at repentance. The church today is rubbish at it, in fact. We kind of think, what's happened? What's gone wrong? And we never, in, in all of these, and sat through goodness knows how many general assemblies with all sorts of stuff coming out, and people have not asked the question, wait a minute, have we let God down in ways that we've been unfaithful? Why shouldn't we ask that question? We just had a recent example in the service at St. Giles for, for King Charles, where other gods were prayed to in the service. That should be not on. There is only one God. Now, Jesus is telling us a pack of lies if there's a lot of different gods. And the first commandment is about worshiping God and God alone. church needs to think hard about what has brought us to this place and this point. And we need beyond this to be not ashamed of the gospel itself. But one of the things that chapter 37 is showing us is that no situation is so bad, no situation is so hopeless that the Word of God cannot get a response. And if there is to be a renewal amongst the people of God, it will come through His Word being honored and shared, because only the Word of God can wake the dead. And our task is to show and share that Jesus, the Word, with the people around us. Not a Jesus shorn of miracles, because that sounds too outlandish. Not a Jesus shorn of uncomfortable words of judgment, because that's unpleasant. Not a Jesus who tones things down and tells us everything's fine when it's not. Not a Jesus who is commitment light. Rather, the Jesus we find in the Gospels. 
And the Apostle Paul, who took that message of Jesus into the Roman Empire and the Roman world, says at the beginning of his letter, the letter to the Romans that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Why is he not ashamed of the word? Because it brings the dead to life. It brings darkness to light. It, it does what the kind of transformation, salvation work that we hear about and read about in Ezekiel chapter 37. The Word of God does that, and because the Word of God does that, says Paul, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of it. You know, and, and I'm speaking myself here, because I, I find myself sometimes when I'm in, um, in, in, in ministry thinking about the church and where we're going in our place, and, and sometimes you you know, it's easy to sometimes just kind of shift your perspective a, a wee bit and you get caught up in thinking, well, we can reach out to folks if we do the food bank or if we have a credit union. Or, now, these things are good. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing them at all. But sometimes it's, it's almost as though we kind of think if we can't do that kind of thing, if we can't meet some kind of obvious physical or material need, what have we got to offer? found myself kind of thinking like, where do we start? We've got Jesus, for goodness sake. There was an extraordinary book written a number of years ago by, by a Roman Catholic priest, actually, Vincent Donovan, who had gone to a tribe in Kenya in the 1950s. And after a while, he realized that a lot of the other stuff that the mission was doing was getting in the way. The teaching in the hospitals and stuff, you know, he was thinking, that's really good stuff, but people are taking that and stopping there. And so he, he, he left that to the side and went and spoke to them about Jesus. There was transformation and renewal in the, in the tribe under his ministry. Now, he wouldn't say, and I'm not saying, missions don't do hospitals, don't do education. These things are important. But they're not the power of God for salvation. And we must make sure that whatever else we're doing, that we're not ashamed of that gospel and trusting it to bring the word of the power of God into play. And of course, with the word, there was the spirit, and the spirit we express through, through the breath, and we express in our prayers. Verses 37 and 38 of the chapter 36 in the passage that Andrew read. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. They're pleading, they're praying. God is going to answer. Back in chapter 14, when God is speaking about judgment on Jerusalem, he says, I'm not going to answer their prayers. What's the difference between chapter 14 and chapter 36? And don't end to say 22. Um, what, what is the difference between chapter 14 and, and chapter 36? In chapter 14, they were presuming. In chapter 14, they were not repenting. By chapter 36, when Jerusalem is destroyed and everything else, they've, they've gone beyond the presumptions. <laughs> And they've begun to do some repenting. And God says, I will answer. I will listen. There are no shortcuts. 
And the goal in it all is transformation. Now, I've, I've never seen any of these TV programs, a whole episode anyway, of these TV programs where they're doing changes, you know, where they change this wilderness into a beautiful garden or where they take this ramshackle old house and make it something that's worthy of living in or where they take an old piece of furniture that's been discarded and, they, and it's all made beautiful and everything else. Um, I've never seen one, but I know that they're there. And what's more, I know that there's lots of them, these programs. And what does that tell me? Well, it tells me, it tells me amongst other things, that people are interested in transformation. This pile of rubble becomes a garden. This ramshackle thing becomes a house. This, this old kind of thing that's just been stuck in somebody's attic for 30 years is now suddenly tarted up. More. People are interested in, people are gripped by transformation. They still are, must be, because people don't make television programs that nobody watches. <laughs> they cost a lot of money. So they only make them because people are interested, because people are committed to them. People want to hear stories of transformation. And that is what the gospel is. There's something about transformation that we love. And the gospel is about the dead becoming alive. It's, the gospel is about darkness turning to light. It's about good news tra changing and transforming. And that's what Ezekiel 37 is saying. You know, it's not just that the bones had got a wee bit of improvement. It's not just that, you know, they found a tibia and a fibula found each other and said, oh, that's a bit of a leg. Now, that's okay. There was more to come. They needed a lot more. And yet sometimes we've kind of settled for less, haven't we? It's nice if somebody's coming to church, yeah, but have they got to know Jesus? Or it's nice if a lonely person's now got some company and a bit less lonely. That's good. That is good. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. Or we're happy because we can give someone who was hungry a meal. Again, that's good. And I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. But it's not the end point. It's not the goal. It's not what the gospel's ultimately aiming. It's looking at new life about transformation. And we shouldn't settle for less. We shouldn't settle for less in our own lives. We shouldn't se settle for less in the lives of one another. And we shouldn't settle for less in the experience and in the witness of church. Because if we settle for less, we're, we're saying Jesus wasn't about what he says he was about. It's not cheap presumption. It's not about avoiding repentance and asking where we need to change and be transformed. It's about, not about all the other things, it's about that reliance on the Word of God, which mustn't be ashamed of it. It's key about our, our prayer that, that comes to God and seeks His will. Because it's transformation. And lastly, it's all about the glory of God. Verse 22 in chapter 36, the first verse that I read is the excellent one. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. It's not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. Isn't that a pretty staggering thing? 
There they were, stuck in Babylon, thinking, wouldn't it be great to get back home? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go back there and maybe get the temple built again and begin to get back to things the way that they used to be? Well, yes, says God, but it's not about that. It's ultimately about my glory, he says. It's ultimately about my reputation and my holy name. There's a sense here in which hey, we're not as important as we thought we were. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God and the honor of God. I sometimes worry um, about so much of the talk I hear about eternal life in terms of it being reunion, getting to see your spouse again or whatever. And, and again, I'm not saying these things are wrong, but the gospel is not about that. It doesn't focus on that. It, it focuses on our being the people of God with God and God being glorified. That, that's the focus that it is given. Um, and so in, for example, the final chapters of the book of Revelation, it's not people being taken up with the excitement of seeing their dog again or whatever. It's about God being at the center and seeing God face to face. So, your task, my task, our task, is to work out where in all of this we find our place. It's not about saving the church. It's not about keeping the church going. It's not even about my well-being or happiness. It's certainly not about some quick fix. Ezekiel had to learn and Ezekiel had to teach others about settling in Babylon, not expecting to be back in Jerusalem before Christmas. Not that he had Christmas, of course. We have things to unlearn and things to let go of. Things that we relied on that maybe weren't of the Lord Himself. We have repenting to do. We have a reshaping task around the Word of God, not around what was in our past or what we might think might work, but about what God has said. For the only hope for the people of God and the only hope for the mission of God is when the Word and the Spirit of God do this kind of transforming work that we read of in Ezekiel 37. And we're given a part to play. So do you believe that? Do you believe that God can make that kind of a difference? Do you believe that God's in the business of transformation, not just a few moral improvements? Do you believe that no matter how, how bleak the scenario, God can still work? Do you believe that the whole message of the gospel is not fundamentally about our 
well-being, although that is taken care of, but rather is about the glory of God. If you believe that, go and live it. There are different ways that go and live, live it, there are different situations, there are different talents, there are different abilities, but go and live it. Because it's good news. It's what the world needs. It's what we have. And it's what most gives God glory. Let us pray. Lord, being your people in the world is a colossal agenda. And we feel daunted by it. But Lord, we, we reckon Ezekiel must have been scared as well. Or the Apostle Paul going into the powerhouse of the Roman Empire. Or any one of millions of your followers down through the years. And yet time and time again, in the lives of your people, you have shown and you've proved that when we are real, when we're serious with you, you're a God who transforms life. So forgive us for the times we've settled for shortcuts, where we've ached for an easy route. Forgive us for the times when we've sought to impose what we think in place of what you've said. Forgive us for the times when in complacency we've made light of the repenting that we need to do. And Lord, through your Spirit, come and, and, and inspire us that you're a God of new creation, a God of glory, a God at work in the world, and a God who is longing to bless. So, Lord, with whatever gifts we have, with whatever talent and time is left to us, help us to seek first your kingdom. Amen.